Hello and welcome to episode 259 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Vacation season done, Ben? You back to work? Right now I am. Yeah, my kids are off at the lake somewhere in New York. So I am free to focus on Demon 2.0. <laughs> nice. Any updates on Demon 2.0? Yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. There are so many little things that you know we've wanted to work on and fix for years. Years, really, at this point. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, at least a year. And um, working with Stefan, uh, who helped reboot Kickstarter and Spotify, has been... An oh. extremely rewarding experience. So he knows his shit, and now he's learning all about the LSAT and how people review and all that stuff. So Amazing. it's a really slick uh, yeah, setup. I mean, people have seen Demon 2.0 in the bottom corner of the uh, Demon, but that's yeah. not 2.0, actually. That's just like, that's <laughs> that's like one plus... One. One point one, yeah. One point one, yeah. No, uh, demon, demon two. It, I, it's kind of funny the the design that he has come up with. It does have this sort of Spotify feel, but I love it. It, it looks cool. great. Yeah, sounds good. Today on the show, um, we have more updates from LSAC. Seems like we never stop getting emails from the LSAC about changes to their procedures and uh, new stuff that's happening. We have. Uh, some news about LSAT flexes and undisclosed tests. We have a uh, surprising finding from the 509 reports for mm. Penn State about a 100-year-old JD candidate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have a... We have an email from a listener who says that they paid for another test prep company, but they're dissatisfied. Well, we hear mm. lots of those. Um, yeah. And we have a question, uh, a logical reasoning question from Test 65 that I'm, I think we'll have time to get to. The show is going to air on Monday, August 17th. Um, if you're hearing this when it comes out, the deadline to register for the October LSAT is Friday, August 21st. Just a whole, that's a whole ass different season <laughs> that you have to sign up for the October LSAT. <laughs> you have to sign up still in August <laughs> if you would like to take the October LSAT. Um, Saturday, August 29th is the beginning of the August LSAT flex testing week. So I hate to break it to y'all, but if you're signed up for that August LSAT, you probably have to just kick down another 200 bucks for LSAC and uh, sign up for the October LSAT as well. I can't imagine, Ben. What circumstances could you imagine giving somebody the green light to take the August LSAT but not be registered for that October LSAT? Yeah, which is a month after it. Almost There's just, it just Even if you do awesome in August... If you have the potential to do better, it doesn't hurt. Even if your applications are submitted, two more points. Some school that has you waitlisted would be like, yeah, or give you more money or whatever. I yeah, if you think you're going to get your score in August, like if you think you're prepped enough to take the test in August, then it makes no sense not to also be registered for that October test because lots of shit can go wrong on the day of the test. I mean, we hope not, but you have to... 
hope for the best and also plan for the worst. And um, yeah, it's just, boy, if they could change one thing, I think I would, my vote would be for them to just tighten up the timeline on these things. And just, um, I, I wish they released the scores faster. It's mm-hmm. just crazy that it takes three weeks to release the scores. But even more than that, I wish that they didn't make you register six or seven weeks or whatever it is in advance of um, the test. I just It seems so unnecessary today in particular with the flex. Like I kind of understand like their need to know a headcount for reserving all this space. I mean, even then it becomes predictable, but – you know, they had to reserve these big rooms. They needed to coordinate with people. Now they have to reserve Proctor U time. You know, I'm sure they have to tell Proctor U in advance how much capacity they're going to need or whatever, but. Four or five weeks before? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Seems crazy. Um, you can always email the show, help at thinkinglset.com. Uh, when you do that, if you would like to be included on our show notes, website, um, social media, you can send us your smiling face, uh, maybe a picture of you studying, uh, something like that. Help at thinkinglset.com is where you can send all of your questions and we will eventually get to them on the show. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you get a chance. It really does make a difference. Um, every review helps other people find us. So, um, Sorry for barraging you with that request every episode, but um, it's the only way that people find out about us. So please do leave us a review. Can I bitch about what? Have you heard, Ben, about people like sort of cheating now because of the flex, cheating a little bit with the scheduling? Are you talking about a, a scheduling Proctor U beforehand? Because well, no, of that not thing that. that we talked no. about. Um, oh. Flip it. Um, scheduling a test later in the testing week so that they can get Intel from other test takers. Oh, have not heard that. Yeah. But. I've heard of people, um, you know, who aren't that good at the test, I guess, scheduling themselves purposely at the end of the testing window so that they can like get information, you know, uh, like tips about the logic games or, um, which of from the reading Reddit comp- or whatever. Maybe. Or just yeah. their friends taking the test. Yep. Um, you know, like, hey, which, if I'm only going to do three reading comp passages, which of the reading comp passages was the hard one? And getting information from their, you know, other buddies who are taking the test so that they can then skip that one. Hmm. I think it's a weak move. I mean, it's lame. <laughs> if that's what, what you're relying on to get your best LSAT score, the truth is you're just probably not that good at the LSAT. But I have heard about that happening now. So that's a, uh, a concern. I, I I think I'm still under the impression that everybody who takes the flex is taking the exact same test. They're not actually giving different tests to people. As far as we know, as far as I know, I haven't heard of them being different, but I guess it's not surprising, right? For years, the LSAT was administered at the same time as much as possible to minimize the amount of communication. Yeah. Like take place. three hours different because of the, you know, East Coast versus West Coast, which I suppose if you had a friend in New York, you could, and you live in California, you could, well, no, nah, they probably wouldn't tight, be out though, of the test. Because the time, test, yeah. yeah, is like four hours, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You want to read this uh, f- update here from our man, Eric, at uh, LSAC? Yes. 
And I wanted to bitch and moan about something here. In some of their emails recently, like I would say two or three of them, they've started out by saying, dear Ben, as you know, and I'm always like, what? No, this is news to me. <laughs> why, like, why are you operating under the assumption that we all know this? But, yeah. uh, they did it for some scheduled maintenance too. They're like, as you know, we're going to be down. I'm like, no, I had no clue. I'm glad to know that you're going to be down. But um, anyways, dear Ben, as you know, <laughs> the online August LSAT Flex will be administered the week of Saturday, August 29th through Friday, September 4th. Thanks to online testing, we can offer candidates a range of start times for the LSAT Flex. Test takers will be able to choose the time that works best for their schedules from the available options on one or more days, which are determined by remote the remote proctoring requirements. Okay. If a candidate prefers to test a certain time of day, we recommend they sign up as early as possible as slots are assigned on a first-come, first-served basis. Sign up will begin at 12 noon Eastern time, Thursday, August 13th. Or Every potentially August. the day before if you follow the Reddit hack and just, <laughs> what was it? Change your email? Oh, <laughs> or yeah, something yeah. we you talked about in a few episodes. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you reset your password and then you can miraculously get an earlier window to sign up for the for the flex. I don't know yeah. if that hack still works or not, but it did as of a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So for most people, <laughs> noon Eastern time, Thursday, August 13th. Every August registrant will receive an email at that time with detailed instructions to guide them through the scheduling process. As you know, there we go again, as you know, (laughs) we have created a new score preview option for first-time test takers who wish to see their scores before deciding whether to keep it for the August test. Score preview will cost $45 for candidates who signed up before 11.59 p.m. Eastern on August 28th. That is the day or the evening before the test or $75 for candidates who sign up after testing has concluded. (laughs) Please note first time test takers who have approved LSAT fee waiver and approved LSAT fee waiver will receive the score preview free of charge. You can learn more here. Okay. In addition, we are pleased to announce that in response to requests from test takers, We are making a few changes to the items test takers are allowed to use during the online remotely proctored LSAT Flex. Number one, we will now allow test takers to use a regular or mechanical pencil or a pen. While taking the LSAT Flex, test takers will still need to show their writing utensils to the proctor during the check-in period. Wait, I didn't realize that they weren't allowed to use a pencil. I thought they weren't allowed to use a mechanical pencil. Yeah, I thought they weren't allowed to use a mechanical pencil, but... Yeah, that's what they're adding here, is mechanical pencil. Oh, so the mechanical pencil is what's new. Mechanical mm-hmm. pencils are now... That was a common request. Kosher. Jeez. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Who knows? <laughs> okay. In addition, test takers may use soft, non-electronic, non-colored, branded generic foam earplugs which will need to be shown to and approved by their LSAT Flex proctor corded ben corded you're not you're not allowed to use the ones that have a cord that connect what did the two I say? of them you said colored Col- you, you can use any colored <laughs> earplugs that you would like you cannot use ones that have a cord i wasn't cord. even aware of what i was reading um i think the fact that it lacked color would have surprised me yeah non corded okay so you're not obviously listening into some device 
Huh. Okay. Well, you can now have earplugs. People must have been annoyed by their neighbor or other things. <laughs> I got in trouble for saying this on Twitter a little bit. People were not happy with my take on this. Mm. Um, I, I don't give a shit about mechanical pencils and I don't give a shit about earplugs, but people were like rhapsodizing about how, what a boon this was to, <laughs> to, to test takers mm. to be able to use, you know, their writing implement of choice or to be able to use their earplugs. And I got to tell you, if either of those things are a game changer for you, my opinion is that you are just not that good at the test. Like I, I can't imagine earplugs really making that much of a significant difference. People, of course, everybody piles on me on Twitter, right? Like, well, what about people who have ADHD and need a whatever? And it's like, yeah, yeah. But accommodated students already get 50% or a hundred percent extra time or like people get all kinds of already get accommodated. If that's the, if that's really your issue, if it's actually an ADA issue, you've already been getting accommodated for that. And <laughs> Whatever, fine. Use earplugs, great. But the earplugs aren't going to whisper the answer to you. You know, the mechanical pencil is not going to magically write down the answers. And so this is basically a non-issue. If you think that these are game-changing for you, hey, great. I mean, more power to you. That's awesome. But um, yeah. I just can't imagine this making a significant difference. The people who really understand the test you know, you could be using finger paints <laughs> and for your writing implement, and there could be like bombs going off in the background and you would still be able to just focus enough to answer the questions. Yeah. You know, I, I can't, I don't, whatever. I understand. Yes. People have roommates and fine. Great. But um, yeah, you can use You can use your plugs now. I wonder, I guess the remote proctor, has a way of interrupting you anyway, huh? The remote proctor can just like stop your test if you're not listening to them or something. Yeah. That's makes me curious. Like, I don't know how the remote proctor is supposed to be, you know, still proctoring you if you now potentially can't hear them because of your earplugs, but I guess they can message you on the screen or something. I don't know. Well, I, I will say I, I would be happy with earplugs as well. Uh, you know, I have these Bose headphones. <laughs> yeah. These are a lifesaver. I mean, I'm thinking about the situation where I have four boys, right? And if I put them on, like, they can be fighting and I will not know. <laughs> so I'll just keep working and then I'll come out, I'll merge, you know, and I'll be like, oh, what's going on? And it's like, oh, something happened here. But if I hear that, then I'm like, oh, and I like get up and I try to, it's just so, mm, it really messes with my flow, you know? But uh -huh. so if I had the option to wear earplugs, I totally would put them in. But I, I also see your general point. People obsess with these things that, Right. At the end of the day, it's best just to work and get better at the test. <laughs> That's my point, actually. Like, okay, fine, I get it. You have family, you have kids, you have roommates, you have whatever, and your plugs are good yeah. for you. That's fine. But, I mean, in my decade plus of professional experience teaching the test, most of the time when people complain about attention issues, the truth is, there are fundamentals about the test they don't understand. And so it's really hard for them to focus because they just don't even understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I just don't hear high level scorers, you know, people who actually understand the, what the test is asking, you know, mm -hmm. they understand what they're reading and they understand what the test is, test is asking. Uh, those people just don't, 
tend to just complain about the distractions. You know, it's a very high stakes test and they have a way of um, focusing no matter what's going on because it is so important. And so I just, I guess I would challenge listeners to be honest with themselves about, um, you know, is it really the earplugs that are keeping you from being focused or is it that you fundamentally don't understand the questions and so it's hard to pay attention for a long time to stuff that you're just like when you're reading shit that you don't understand. I mean, I can see how it would be very hard to focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, Eric continues. We hope that these changes will help candidates take the at-home test for more information, blah, blah, blah. Um, in the meantime, candidates <laughs> Wait, should you review. Skipped the, you skipped the best line. Oh, the best line? Okay. Yeah. Uh, for more information about allowable items, test takers should please carefully review the candidate agreement and please note that any ni- items not expressly allowed <laughs> under the candidate agreement are prohibited. Oh, yeah. I, when I read that, I was thinking like, oh, are T-shirts expressly allowed? Because if they're not... Yeah, but are BVDs allowed? Or <laughs> I don't see it on the thing that you could actually wear your chonies. But if are those... <laughs> are the, yes, they're not expressly allowed under the candidate agreement. So, I, you know, you got to go pantsless, I suppose, uh, for the actual test. They might... You, Proctor, you might have an objection. You say, I'm sorry, this... <laughs> Logically, <laughs> I read Eric's email, <laughs> and I take him at his word. Um, in the meantime, in the meantime, okay, candidates should review the technical requirements of the remotely proctored exam using the information on this page. Okay, some highlighted page. Test their equipment well before the exam to help ensure that they have a successful test day experience. Uh, sorry, I dropped the word and there. But anyways, candidates also may want to continue familiarizing – I hate that word, by the way – familiarizing themselves with the format and content of the LSAT Flex by using the free official LSAT prep practice tests available on LSAC's Law Hub. There are two of them, by the way, if you're so inclined. If you or your students have questions about the LSAT Flex, we recommend that you review the questions and answers here. Okay. You know, they just say so much stuff. Like, stop talking. Yeah, no one's reading this. I I I love this, Eric, but you're burying your message. Yeah. (laughs) We will continue to provide updates as we get closer (laughs) to the August LSAT Flex. (laughs) And we wish you good health. And as we all continue to navigate these uncertain times together... Mm. He's a good guy, Eric. It looks like he has a new title. What? Let's see. Oh, Vice President of Learning Platform Innovation. Hmm. He got promoted or did he know. just request a new title? I hope he didn't get demoted because he used to be something something agile development. Hmm. Vice I don't think President. he possibly. Vice President sounds impressive. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eric is, I think, a good guy. Yeah, I do agree, Ben, like we are professionals in the field and we still have a hard time reading this entire email. I just, I can't imagine that like candidates themselves are actually reading every word of these communications. There's too, too much, but okay. That's that. Don't go do those free prep tests available on LSAC's law hub, by the way. I, do those come with the Khan Academy explanations? No, they are 
explanation. Oh, they're separate? Less. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's good because those con <laughs> uh, explanations are like worse than no explanation. Um, yeah. I've only seen a couple of them, but like the class last night <laughs> was just absolutely dunking on how terrible those con explanations are. I, oh, it, it's a shame. I don't know why LSAC didn't like get actual LSAT experts involved in the free stuff that they're giving away. I think we all agree that giving away free prep to people who can't afford it is a good idea. Like there should be resources out there for people, you know, if you want to like actually democratize and open up the access for all, all the people, you know, to be able to pursue justice or whatever. Um, giving away free prep is awesome, but, they should make it like good prep instead of terrible prep because the yeah, Khan Academy like shit just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It tempts people away to this free option and they end up getting hurt. Uh, it's this weird conundrum that we've struggled with for years, right? The super prep book, which had tests A, B and C in it had official explanations from LSAC <laughs> and yet no one liked them. <laughs> and it was like, how is it that you can be so smart and come up with these questions that are objectively legit, right? It's like people argue with the test and you're like, no, you fucking don't understand. Look, at this is what D says and this is why it's right. But then they write their explanation and you're sitting there scratching your head like, did you write this question and write the explanation? No, because- no the, the explanations are coming from people who did not write the actual questions. It's like they they went out and got like, Oh, well, I mean, Khan, he's a smart guy, you know, he's good at other tests. He's sure he'll be able to write good explanations. I don't know who actually did the Khan explanations. I don't know if it was actually Mr. Khan or not, but um, it just feels like they got an SAT tutor to write the explanations for these LSAT questions. It does definitely does not feel like an actual expert in the law school admission test. All right. Next email says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I am registered for the August and October LSATs. The August LSAT was announced as Flex. I am frustrated because I was registered for a disclosed August test. LSAC did not give the option of a disclosed October test, so I registered for the disclosed test in August. If LSAC changes the test to Flex, they said the test has to become undisclosed. Why? Furthermore, how am I supposed to know what questions I got wrong so I can correct my errors? This is an important tactic that I use for test taking. Will it look negative if I have taken the LSAT more than twice? Thank you. Sincerely, R. Uh, Okay. I mean, I would love for all official tests to be disclosed so that we could learn from them, but it's one test. Why is R so upset about this? Yeah, R is um, conflating the official attempts with the practice attempts. Mm-hmm. I mean, log on to the demon and you've got 93? Sounds about right. Let's Tests? See. A, B, C, J. Plus so 89? Plus 89, yeah. And there'll be F eventually. So, so you've got... You know, you've got 90-something tests to practice with in the demon. That's 9,300 questions to practice with. And the test just repeats itself. I mean, they don't really invent anything new ever. It's just subtle variations on all the shit that they've been testing for years. 
So R, you know, looking at what you got wrong so that you can correct your errors, yes, that is an important tactic that you should use for test taking. And you can do that on 9,300 practice questions. The fact that the August test isn't disclosed, whatever. That's one test that you're not going to be able to review. I mean, it, <laughs> I think students commonly, they don't realize that the practice tests and the actual test are just the same damn thing, right? Like R is taking the official test more seriously than they are taking the practice tests, it seems. Yeah. Getting so bound up about whether this is a disclosed or an undisclosed test and oh, how how on earth am I supposed to improve if I if it's not a disclosed test? Well, whatever. It's one data point. I mean, <laughs> hopefully it's your last data point. If you take the test and you do well, then you don't have to ever take it again, in which case you don't care if it was disclosed. If yeah. If you don't get the score you want, then yeah, you're, it's true. You're not going to be able to learn from your mistakes on this test. They're not disclosing any of the flexes. So what? You can go right back to practicing using the 93 practice tests that we have available to us. I just, I don't know why people yeah. always worry about disclosed versus undisclosed. It's a, it's essentially a non-issue. I've, in fact, wouldn't life be easier if LSAC just didn't even mention it? What do you mean? No, oh, just not even tell people. Just not even have that on the website. Not even have it on the registration. Not even just... Yeah. Sign up for <laughs> a test. You'll find out whether it's disclosed or not. What? It doesn't matter. It's it's yeah. it, it. There is zero percent. You should never, ever even consider it. If you're an applicant, if you're if you're a candidate, as they call their customers, if you're a candidate, um, you should not think about disclosed versus undisclosed. That's a complete non-issue. You should think about when you're ready to take it and yeah. then sign up for that test. Yeah, and your practice tests will tell you whether you're ready to take it or not. And the questions that you miss on the practice tests, you should thoroughly review so that you can continue to get better at the test. But whether your official test is disclosed or not is a total zero. Like not it shouldn't take up one tenth of one percent of your analysis about when you want to take the test. It's just not a thing. Have we announced that people can take the flex test on the demon? Uh, you just did. <laughs> yeah. Big news. Big news. I, I just can't remember if we've done that on the show or not. But anyways, all we've done is we've taken the four section tests that are official, the 93 that are in there, and we've said, okay, let's get rid of the second logical reasoning section. It's now a flex test, and we have a flex conversion score uh, that it produces for you. Thanks to Jackson's work. Yeah. Jackson is awesome at that type of shit. By the way, our methodology for how we converted the, uh, previous four section scoring scale to the flex scoring scale. It's very complicated. Uh, uh yeah, it's proprietary, scientific it's proprietary model <laughs> <laughs> so that we could create official LSAT flex tests. No, I'll tell you what we did. We dropped one of the sections of LR and we multiplied the scoring scale by 75%. The LR section is roughly 25% of the questions on the test. And so if we're dropping 25% of the questions on the test, then we have to reduce the scoring scale down to 75% of what it was before. And now we have an official LSAT flex practice test. This is as close as you can possibly get, Ben, to an official LSAT flex. There's actually no such thing as yep. an official LSAT flex. 
But we, we did do that, just to clarify for everybody, we did do that for every test. So every test has its yes. own scale, and we adjusted all of those scales. So every test that you take in the Demon will give you an LSAT flex score based on the official score conversion chart for that test. So it's we'll as close ever, as you can get. Do you think we'll ever yep. stop saying flex? Do you think this will, they'll ever go back? <laughs> well, I was thinking about that the other day. I I do feel like they they need to figure out how to test experimental sections, right? Because this is actually right. was coming up in uh, Demon 2.0. There was this question, wait, do we need a fifth section? And it's like, maybe we don't need a fifth, but if they, they got to introduce experimentals sometime, otherwise they're not going to be able to create new tests. Yeah. If they... Once again, they should have gone computer adaptive in the first place mm. where they mm-hmm. would just be giving you one question at a time. Um, if they had done that, they could easily sneak in questions that sneak don't count. Sneak in experimentals, right? yeah. <laughs> just mm-hmm. right in the middle. They just feel no. like, oh, here you go. Here's a question that doesn't count, and we can just test that question, and then you know, just move forward. You'll have no idea which ones don't count. And They could have done that, but instead they they did not. I, I was yelling about it again last night in class, though, Ben, um, it's so bizarre to me that they just decided, you know, they had decades of two sections of LR, one section of reading comp, one section of games. And presumably they did that based on some reason, right? Like there had yeah. to be some rationale for why LR was half of the test yeah. for decades, literally decades. And then <laughs> COVID comes and they have to scramble to offer an online version of the test. And their solution is, oh, we'll just get rid of one of those sections of LR. And uh, so, yeah, now games counts for more. And uh, oh, even though we also are going to uh, get rid of games, are getting rid of the games because it's discriminatory against blind people because of the settlement that we had of that lawsuit. So we are going to get, we're researching getting rid of the games, but for now, we're going to make them count for more. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to go out with a bang. (laughs) We're going to get our money's worth. Uh, Maximum discrimination in the time we have to continue discriminating. We have to maximize. I I don't know. It's just kind of a bizarre solution that they found. No sign of going back to live in-person LSATs, right? I mean, right now, I know I heard you the other day guarantee that the October test was going to be flex. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. How could they possibly go backward? I I just don't see them going backward in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's any reason to suspect that we're going to change back in 2021 either. Do they really want to go back to coordinating the shipment of Microsoft (laughs) Go's all over the country and the world? (laughs) What else are they going to do with those tablets? They need to... You know. Yeah, but it, it's still better if it's a sunk cost, right? So it's still better for them to turn around and sell them <laughs> than to like pay for shipment. Yes. Oh, I would. If I were them, I'd be like, I don't want to deal with that ever again. Thank God right. for Proctor U. Or make their yes. own Proctor. I don't know if they don't like Proctor U. Come up with their own system and start offering computer adaptive. And uh, off, if you if they did computer adaptive, then they could also get rid of the cheating problem. Right, right. And you could administer it at any time. Say, hey, there's a test. Good luck. Yeah. Ideally, everybody would be taking different tests. Uh, Computer Adaptive would solve that. 
or everybody would be taking it at the same time. I mean, I guess Proctor U probably has limitations to, you know, their headcount or whatever. They just don't have that many remote proctors, so they have to spread it out throughout the week. But when we have people taking the test a full week before other people taking the test, and it's the same test, obviously some people are going to cheat. Well, here's one more argument for bringing it in-house, right? When they did the test all over the world at the same time, they had proctors all over the world. <laughs> Surely and it's one, easier. <laughs> yeah, to get online proctors yeah, right? and just have them watch 25 people. I don't know. They, they make decisions that don't make any sense to me. One of ours questions here was if – LSAC changes the test to flex. They said it has to become undisclosed. Why? I agree with you. There is no good reason why. (laughs) (laughs) If they were going to disclose the test, (laughs) why can't they continue to disclose the test? I think what's happening is they're just moving very slowly on creating new questions probably. And they're, so they're trying to keep everything private Mm -hmm. so that they can use it again. That's my guess. Oh my I god! Mean, really, their, their world would be so. Much, you wouldn't have to. They wouldn't have to come up with a hundred questions every time with computer adaptive. I just can't get off of this topic. <laughs> they could use the ninety-three hundred questions they already wrote and just create a computer adaptive test bank that pulls from those questions. And hey, if a candidate memorizes all ninety-three hundred of the released questions, good on them. I mean, that's like. You should get a perfect score if you memorize 9,300 LSAT questions. Well, you can also change up the answers, right? So it's like... Oh, yeah. Randomize the order of the answers. That would be real easy for them to do, yeah. So if you memorize it, you're really memorizing, like, the answer. Yeah, you memorize the, like, logic of the question. But anyway, if you did, (laughs) then good for you. Like, you... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Ready for this next email? Mm -hmm. You can take it. Okay. Hey, y'all. I thought you guys would love this, so I figured I'd share. I was researching the 509 reports and came across this truly hilarious statistic. Okay, truly hilarious. I am not sure if it's a typo or not, but it's fun to consider the hypothetical either way. Take a look at the attached photo and you'll notice that someone who you'll notice that a someone, a someone who is 100 years old is a 1L at Penn State Law. Amazing. You want to take a closer peek at that screenshot do you see the blue bar up above that section i mean i there's not a hundred there's not this this is fake news ben pat thank you for writing in you did not read that 509 information properly (laughs) this is under a big blue heading that says curricular offerings 2018-2019 and there's a whole paragraph part that you know Pat didn't read, but this is number of upper division classroom course sections with an enrollment of, this is class size. This is not the age of, there is no 100 year old 1L at Penn State. That is a, that is a lie. What that says is there is. You'd have five people who are 75 to 99 (laughs) and you'd have, whoa, you'd have a good, like, I can't see the number. It's really small, but it's That's a solid amount of 50 to 74 year olds there, 19%. (laughs) class of 19 of the class yeah no pat this is how big the classes are this is how big the upper division classes are there is only 
only one class that has 100 or more students in it. That is not the age of the... <sighs> hmm. Yeah. You know, this reminds me of a logical reasoning question. I was just working with someone the other day, and they read it, and they said, oh, this is really flawed. This is bad for this reason. And I said, yeah, that's really fucked up. If if that's what that argument was saying, then that's really bad. But on the scale of, like, stupid arguments, how stupid do you think that is? And they're like, that's really stupid. I was like, when you feel like it's so stupid, you might want to make sure you read it right. Right? Like the the way they read it, the conclusion said one thing, and the evidence said, like, really just launched right into the opposite of that thing. And I was like, that's possible. That could be what's wrong with it. But um, maybe you just misread the conclusion. They reread the conclusion, like, oh, okay, I see. The con- the evidence is going in the right direction. It's just still bad for a different reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you picture see yourself. Like this, you gotta. Make sure you're reading it right, right? Picture yourself in a courtroom or in a boardroom or in a Zoom call and you're going to like, because you're the lawyer in the room and you're the one that actually understands everything and it's your job to call bullshit. So you're going to call bullshit. You're going to interrupt the whole proceedings to, you know, come with the bring the hammer down on somebody's bullshit logic. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't actually read it correctly in the first place. You're not you're not going to survive long as the designated smartest person in the room if you're doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, <laughs> by all means, call bullshit. But make sure you know What's up before you do that? You're like, re- everybody just has to read more carefully. Period. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a student and they're like, you know, read an argument. I go, what do you think of that? They go, oh, it's bullshit. It's garbage. <laughs> and meanwhile, it's actually a logically valid, proven argument. Yeah. Like the premises totally justify the conclusion. And they want to call bullshit because they want to make me happy because they know that calling bullshit is, you know, the game. Mm-hmm. But see, you have to call bullshit on things that are actually bullshit, not <laughs> things that are logically valid. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah. the right bullshit, right? Like <laughs> it's go off on tangents. You're like, okay, I understand you're upset about that, but that's not totally crazy. Even if it's not perfect, what's really wrong here? <laughs> Uh, is the age of – I don't think the age profile of the 1L classes is even on the 509 report. This was just – Pat misinterpreted the 509 report, at least according to the tiny little screenshot we have here. That ain't the age of the students. That's the number of students in the upper division courses. Yeah. Um, okay. We have another email here. This one is from Amber. Oh, good morning. Call me Amber. I am a recent listener to the Thinking LSAT podcast. Welcome, Amber. The podcast has been an extreme help in my preparation. I would like some advice. Bullet points. Started studying in May. Diagnostic score 155. GPA 3.84. Purchased online redacted private tutoring package. The first 25 hours... That's a fuck ton of private tutoring. 
first 25 hours has been going through lesson by lesson of the power score book. What? <laughs> oh, God. Which is not what I wanted. I wanted personalized help. Oh, Scoring yeah. between 154 and 162 in the last eight prep tests. Oh, man. Amber, you are wasting time and wasting money. Diagnostic of 155 is an awesome, awesome starting score. 3.84 GPA and a 155 cold. Like Amber is an amazing candidate who should score 170 without she a whole lot of She could end up going to the effort. top three. Yeah. And she could go to the top three law schools, but not with this, not with this study plan. She's already done eight prep tests and she's still 154 to 162. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of that other company that's like test master, or that is test masters. Um, Redacted. I think they had these. <laughs> they had these uh, these packages where they're like, "Oh, you can get ten hours or or tw- twenty hours, or you could do the extreme." And it was like eighty hours of tutoring, which would correspond with their eighty hour prep course, and the the tutor would walk through every minute of the class with you. I was like, "This is insane." I have thirteen hours left in my package. I am considering not using them and getting refunded for the unused hours. I feel as if my tutor doesn't necessarily understand the questions. She can only explain the answers in one way, and I don't always understand the way she explains them. Amber, you should be using the LSAT demon. The, the LSAT it's demon so much costs, cheaper. The, the most you can pay for the LSAT demon is $295 a month, and you get multiple classes seven days a week. All kinds of personalized help. From me and from Ben and from Jackson and from Becca and from Matt and from our whole team. And you'd get so much more for your money than you're getting from this private tutor who's just essentially reading from the Power Score books. This reminds me of something that Elon Musk said in one of his books. He said, Hire slow, fire fast. I think you need to mm. fire a lot faster here. Mm. Would you recommend getting refunded for the unused 13 hours and investing that in other materials or stick with the tutor in hopes she will start helping me deepen my understanding of the exam? Get a refund right now and join the demon and start attending class. If you join Becca's class in the morning or Nathan's class, I think you will instantly be like, oh, wow. It's a class, but it's going to be better than your tutoring experience. The, the whole the whole class that I taught last night was just people going off, just, again, dunking on Khan Academy and every other garbage prep course they ever took. And just being – like, Ben, it's I know this is ego speaking. We understand the test better than these other test prep companies. We, li- we literally do. Like, we understand it better. <laughs> it makes sense. To us. And you've got a tutor here who, you know, they're probably getting paid $25 an hour by whatever prep company and they're not, they have no expertise in the LSAT and they're, you know, I'm sure I have no doubt that she's smart. I have no doubt that she can find the right answers, but she's not a professional at teaching the test and we are, and you could come, you could save so much money and so much time and just do the demon instead. It's a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, for 13 hours left, assuming that you get about a hundred dollars an hour back, so you're going to get $1,300. That's going to give you five months <laughs> of, of demon live. Demon, where you <laughs> yeah. could attend a class every single day for hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't have a specific target score, but I want to be in the 160s, which you obviously easily should. Can you imagine yeah. somebody starting with 155 and then being like, boy, I really wish I could get into the 160s? That's Thank like the God easiest I broke improvement. 160. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to take the August flex exam, but now I'm also considering waiting until October because I'm not scoring consistently in a score range I desire. Yeah, don't take <sighs> August. You, you can score so much higher. Yeah. Ben, hmm. studying since May. Oh. Diagnostic 155. And she's not ready for the August LSAT. She's still scoring 154 to 162. She's basically learned nothing. You know what actually she's done is she's learned power. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Redacted. Power score was redacted once, but then not later. Um, <laughs> she's learned their like lists. Yeah, they're overly heavy handed technical bullshit. And so yeah. she, see, when you start with a 155, it means that you have a natural, intuitive understanding of the test. Because the truth, this is the big mystery, Ben. I'm going to give away the whole store right now. The truth about it. the LSAT is that it makes fucking sense. It all makes sense. And if you just read it carefully, you can find the correct answers with no preparation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But now what she's done is, yeah, you're right. She's memorizing lists and trademarked you know, terminologies for, for certain things. And so she's now missing questions that she would have intuitively gotten right. Because she's got all of this overly heavy-handed technical bullshit in her head. And her tutor has done nothing but a disservice to her here. And same with the power Reinforce score books. That. Reinforce yeah. that. Like, oh, do you remember the, like, the, the 10 top flaws? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they're teaching What's her, number eight? What's number like, eight? <laughs> let, me show you how, <laughs> let me show you how hard it is. Like, let yeah. me show you how complicated and how hard it is. That's the exact opposite of what we do at the demon. Like we're going to show you how easy it is. Sorry for this being a sales pitch, but I mean, we could have saved Amber thousands of dollars and weeks or months. Um, you know what? I, yeah. I was just imagining <laughs> us interviewing the founder of uh, PowerScore and saying, "Like, I'm sorry. Can we start with the trademarks? Why did you trademark these things?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, what? I don't know. Lawyers okay. are going to do lawyer things. I don't know. All right. Thank you, Amber, for writing in. You know what, Amber? I would love to uh, rescue you. It's one of the most satisfying things that I get to do as an LSAT teacher is to um, rescue uh, refugees from other prep companies. And so <laughs> please come to the demon. Please let me show you how easy it all is. You will be scoring in the 160s in no time, I promise. It's just, it's too easy. A cold 165, you started, sounding, you started sounding like a, like a TV uh, evangelicalist. Like you're like, <laughs> Pastor Nathan, I will come, I will save you. But it's I do true. feel like it's, a preacher <laughs> sometimes, yeah. It's like messed up, but it's, it's, uh, it's actually true. Oh, I'm a true believer. Know. Yeah. I'm a true believer. Don't get me wrong. I'm born again, um, <laughs> LSAT <laughs> evangelist, evangel, evangelist, sorry. Evangelist. That's a, yeah. That's I'm an LSAT evangelist, but God damn it. With a 155, you should have been in the 160s and knocking on the door of 170 in a month or two max. And it would have cost you hundreds instead of thousands. So anyway, 
come on over. We'll, we'll, we'll save you. It's not going to be too tough. You can just forget everything you've learned so far and start over and it'll be easy. I promise. All right. You want to do this, uh, LR question? Yeah. This is test 65 section four question eight. It starts out union member. Some members of our labor union are calling for an immediate strike. Okay, so some people are upset about something and they want to strike now. But a strike would cut into our strike fund and would, in addition, lead to a steep fine. Okay, so there's two consequences for calling a strike. Causing us to suffer a major financial loss. Therefore, we must not strike now. Um, Okay, this... Immediately, I'm thinking about this argument as one of those arguments in which the LSAT is telling us something bad that will happen and therefore we shouldn't do it or we shouldn't do X because these other consequences will happen, but it's not talking about the benefits. Yeah. What were the purposes of the strike in the first place? Like, mm-hmm. what are what are they calling to strike about? Because if the reason why they're striking is, you know, a workplace safety issue, mm-hmm. like how about we work in an office and uh, everybody in the office has COVID and the boss is still making us come to the office every day. Yep. And some, but some people in the union are like, we should go on strike. This sucks. <laughs> you know, if the strike is going to save your life because you don't get COVID, uh, who gives a shit if you have a major financial loss? Yeah. Also, I would even question this major financial loss. Like, Maybe the strike would result in a better negotiation agreement. Yeah, if you're striking for more wages. You lose money in the short run, but you gain it in the long run. So this this whole thing is just shitty. <clears throat> yeah, I also noticed um, a strike would cut into our strike fund. That's the point of the strike fund. Exactly. I'm like, well, <laughs> wait a second. A strike will always cut into our strike fund. We have a strike fund. For strikes. So that we can strike. I mean, it says it right in the name. I don't know why we have a strike fund if we're not going to use it to strike. Um, so you, c- it, it's one of these um, objections that you could always make. Like, when is that going to change? It's never going to change. Don't go to the grocery store. If you go, you're going to cut into your grocery budget. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. you got to preserve that grocery budget. Don't want to go to the grocery groceries. store and spend <laughs> that grocery money on groceries. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So shitty argument all around. The question says the union members argument is most vulnerable to criticism on the grounds that the phrase most vulnerable to criticism immediately screams flaw question to me. Essentially, the LSAT is asking me why or how is this argument flawed? And I'm going to go look for the criticism that uh, the argument is most vulnerable to. Answer choice A. The argument fails to consider that a strike might cause the union to suffer a financial loss even if no fine were imposed. Um, Okay, it does fail to consider the situation where no fine is imposed, but it doesn't matter. This would help the argument if, if anything, so I would move on. Yeah, to back up a little bit, on a flaw question, it's you can think of it in two steps, right? Did they do it? And is it a problem that they did that? Yep. So with A, they did it. 
they failed to consider many possibilities. They mm-hmm. certainly did not mention, hey, even if we don't go on a strike, or sorry, even if we don't get fined, mm-hmm. um, we still might get a financial loss. Yep. They failed to consider that. But that possibility only helps them, doesn't hurt them. So, they, yeah, they did it. It's just not a problem that they did it. Yeah. And so we can't pick that for a flaw. B, does the argument fail to define adequately what constitutes a major financial loss? Yeah, they failed to define that. They just left it up, left it up to us and just asserted that. But so what? We were arguing whether that would even happen. That's almost never the right answer. Um, you don't have to define every term in your argument. If you did, then every argument would have to come with a dictionary attached to it, right? Yeah. I think it's a premise of this argument that if we do the strike, we're going to suffer a major financial loss. I'm fully willing to give them, yeah, you're going to suffer a major financial loss. Fine. I don't care. (laughs) Even if you are, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't strike. There could be a million reasons why you should strike, even if you are going to incur a major financial loss. So you may suffer an even greater one by not. Well, you might die if you're, if if you're like striking for workplace safety or you're striking for, you know, justice or whatever, there's, there's a million reasons why it would be worth taking a major financial loss in order to strike. And so (laughs) you don't have to define adequately what constitutes a major financial loss. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to give this union member a major financial loss, whatever that means. Yes, you are going to to suffer a major financial loss. That it is a major financial loss, even if it's not. Let's just give it to him. For purposes of argumentation, I'm willing to grant that as a premise of the argument. I'm not going to go, though, to the next step, which is, therefore, we must not strike. Because even if you are going to suffer a major financial loss, there still could be a million good reasons to strike. And so defining exactly what a major financial loss is, is beside the point. just doesn't matter. Excellent. C fails to consider that the benefits to be gained from a strike might outweigh the costs. Uh, that's exactly how we started talking about this argument as soon as we finished reading it. Yeah, it does fail to consider. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they're striking for workplace safety. Maybe they're striking for the boss to, you know, for like stop being racist, stop being sexist, stop whatever. There could be a million things that you're striking for and you could be sacrificing money. You could totally burn up 100% of your strike fund and you could also get a huge fine and you could have a gigantic major financial loss. And nonetheless, there might be benefits that are worth it. And that's the problem with the argument. By the way, I am watching Fear City, or I just finished Fear City on Netflix. Have you heard of that? No. It's a documentary on the the mob in New York City in the 1970s and 80s and how okay. uh, Giuliani uh, helped lead, well... He was part of the team that prosecuted them under RICO. RICO was a new law at the time. Um, it was actually written by a professor at Penn, I think, maybe, or Cornell. Okay. I can't remember. But anyways, it was, it was new, and none of the the police knew how to use it. It was too complicated for them. And so then the professor was like, hey, we got to train – uh, the police force. So they had like a seminar and they're like, look, you can use this law to go after these organizations. You don't have to keep just going after the soldiers, right? The people on the street, you take out one person in a mob, 
but the mob continues. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the Re- the point of Rico is to take out the whole organization, right? But the whole documentary was talking about how the mob had taken over the unions in mm. New York City, and it was just crazy how many things they had infiltrated and how much money they were making, and a lot of strikes that were called for at that time were really called by the mob because they were just flexing their muscle to get whatever they wanted. Like if a you know, company didn't want to go with them, they said, fine, we'll call a strike with the union that we control. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> I'm just saying, oh, was a, you're like, what the hell is the point of that? There's no point. It's a podcast. Um, so, anyways, I was thinking about this. It says, fails to consider the benefits to be gained from a strike might outweigh the cost. Yeah, for example, if you if you don't strike, the mob is going to fucking knock some of your friends off, right? And that's what they did. Have you seen The Irishman? I have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's no big news that the unions are connected to the mob. That's sort of how it is. But Yeah, I think that they were a lot more – they had a lot more control back in the 70s and 80s than they did after Than they do that. today. They yeah, got demobified because of, de- of Rico. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. At least that's what the documentary suggested. I have no clue. <laughs> um, I learn everything from Netflix these days. D, the argument takes for granted that the most important factor, okay, I'm already vomiting. Takes for granted means necessarily assumes. Does it have to assume that the most important factor? I actually wouldn't even keep reading. Yeah, it goes on to talk about the labor union's bargaining position, which was not even part of the argument at all. I mean, they didn't talk about bargaining. They didn't talk about negotiating. All they said was, we're going to have a major financial loss, so we can't do it. That has nothing to do with their bargaining position. I mean, yeah, you're going after the second part of this argument. I would even just say, like, did we care about the importance of the factor or what was most important versus... This is an important point, I guess, that we should make. The fact that the union member only brought up one issue... Yeah does not mean that that's the only issue or the most important issue. We can't put those words in the union member's mouth, right? The next thing they might say is putting that issue aside, we can't strike because of this other bigger reason, mm-hmm. right? So they could have 10 other factors that are more important than this. This factor, according to the union member, seems to be sufficient, right? We can't strike because of our major financial loss. So the major financial loss is sufficient to conclude that we can't strike. But just because it's sufficient doesn't mean that there aren't other, even more important factors. There could be a million other factors that are even bigger than this one. The union member just happened to bring this one up, but there could be 10 others. And we can't, we, we don't know that the union member has necessarily assumed this. Excellent. So multiple reasons for getting rid of answers and being confident that they're wrong. E, fails to establish that there will be a better opportunity to strike at a later time. Uh, yeah, the argument did fail to establish that. It said, hey, we can't strike now. It's like, okay, you never established that there would be a better time in the future, but that's irrelevant to what we're talking about here. Well, as far as we know, this union member might never want to strike. It's always bad, yeah. That wasn't part of the argument. Like, we need to strike some other time. Yeah. That's just not their point. Their point is we're going to have a major financial loss. That might always be true. 
this union member might be like, oh yeah, no, we should never use our strike fund. We should never risk getting a steep fine. We cannot have these major financial losses. Maybe we should never ever strike. So why does the union member have to then establish that there will be a better opportunity to strike at a later time? That's not part of their argument. Yeah. C, because they ignored the benefits. That's the answer. Pretty common flaw. Is that on the list of 10 most important ones? <laughs> yeah, it's number 13, actually. <laughs> 13B. <laughs> All right. Um, is that enough of us for today? <laughs> yeah, I guess we should ask our listeners. Are you sick of us? <laughs> well, they're still here, apparently. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Yeah, I was trying to think about what books and stuff I've been listening to later and lately and what to share with people, but... Um, Can I make a TV recommendation? Yeah, go for it. Um, I don't know if you'll like it, Ben, um, but it's called What We Do in the Shadows. Hmm. Wow. It's a goddamn delight. It's a comedy. <clears throat> it's a mockumentary about vampires. They're not real vampires, Ben. It's Wait, a what? fake... No, it's not an actual documentary about vampires. It's a mockumentary about vampires. They're fake vampires, but they're very entertaining vampires. And everyone should watch What We Do in the Shadows because it's hilarious. So in the documentary, they're fake. but It's like a joke. But but there are documentaries on vampires, right? Well, they're real hard to shoot is the thing. Um, (laughs) You can only do it at night. And um, you might not make it out alive. So, um, yeah, you have to settle for what we do in the shadows. <laughs> Any Maria other recommendations? Rewatching, rewatching the, the Twilight series with her daughter. She said it's horrible. Oh, she should get off of that and watch what we do in the shadows instead. It's much better vampire <laughs> content. Uh, you can join uh, the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can like our pages at LSAT Demon and at Thinking LSAT if you are a Facebook sort of person. You can follow at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon on Instagram. You can also follow Ben. He is at Innovator Ben on Instagram. On Twitter, we are at Thinking LSAT. I am at InFox on Twitter. Um, you can message me there. Uh, our websites are, are uh, LSATdemon.com and ThinkingLSAT.com. I feel like we've already oversold the demon earlier in the show, so I won't talk anymore about that. ThinkingLSAT.com, you can join our uh, Subscribe to our newsletter if you would like to get notifications um, from the show and the show notes, which are awesome. Leave us a review on iTunes. Sorry to keep begging for that, but it really matters. That was episode 259 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.